0: I would now like to introduce Pastor Bob Coates, who's going to be preaching for us today. He, as has been said, has served as interim pastor here at First Baptist since October 2nd when Pastor Bob Stradling retired. Bob Coates, uh, Pastor Bob Coates is a joy. He and his wife Donna are just absolutely wonderful, and it has been a pleasure getting to know both of them. They have been such a blessing to us at Valley Creek, they've been such a blessing to First Baptist. Yes. Bob didn't have any idea what he was stepping into, the extent of it when he did, <laughs> but he has served so valiantly. I see him over here. We have, you know, ring cameras and things, and I'll see, I get a little notification, I'm like, what's Bob doing over there now? You know, he's, he's toting around. He's always got something that he's working on, um, and it's been a lot uh, for him to pull together for this day to be possible, and just a lot in helping to shepherd these two congregations together. Uh, that we might join together as one. Uh, he loves people very well. I've been so blessed to see how he's invested deeply in the lives of those at First Baptist. He's become a very dear friend to myself and many others, same as Donna. And we felt it was appropriate in a celebration of the merge and the history of First Baptist to have him preach for us this morning. So, if you would, uh, please welcome Pastor Bob Coates. That's
1: I'm too used to uh, speaking down here because usually I would put the pulpit over there and we would gather around in that area is what we would do. Um, it's, it's fantastic to see, to see all of you here. And, and I want to just say thank you very, very much. It just, uh, it's, it's just great. It's just great. Uh, this has been a joy. And I want to make sure you all know that. It's been a joy for me to, to be here. I'm gonna just say something before I begin my message. Um, I, I really would ask that you folks continue to keep Chuck, Chuck Doherty in your prayers. Um, Chuck is the one who had a bone marrow transplant back the end of November, and of course has had to keep, keep uh, secluded and everything else because quarantined the whole nine yards. He, he has had a problem with the appetite. The, the transplant went well, it was successful, had an infection, was in the hospital, his home, very weak. Uh, so I just ask you folks, and Valley Creek as well, because he has now, he's a part of you. Chuck Dougherty and Sally, his wife, who wishes she could be here. But they are on streaming as far as I know. So I just ask you to please continue to lift them up. I was going to tell you about the outlines in the, in the pro- program, but I'm Sure, if everybody has a program today, so uh, and I don't know if they've got the screen of the scriptures up here or not. So we're just gonna we're just gonna be winging it today and just see what uh, what the Lord has in store for us. And, and you know, I, I got on maybe ten minutes later than planned. So so uh, so bear with me. So it is told. Jesus took his disciples on the mountain and gathered them around. And he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you that mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. Blessed are you when you suffer. Be glad and rejoice, for your reward is great in heaven. And you know what the disciples respond? Simon Peter says, do we have to write this down, Lord? Andrew says, are, you supposed, are we supposed to know this? James says, will we have a test on it, Lord? Philip says, I don't have any paper, Lord. Bartholomew says, do we have to turn this in later? John says, the other disciples didn't have to learn this. And Matthew says, can I go to the boys' room? Judas finally responds, what does this have to do with real life? And then one of the Pharisees, who was present, asked to see Jesus' lesson plans. And inquired, where is your anticipatory set and your objectives in the cognitive domain? And Jesus wept. Heaven forbid. Of course that didn't happen. Of course the disciples didn't respond that way, but what if they had? They would be questioning and doubting the very heart and central core of the teaching of Jesus Christ. These sayings are so vital and so essential to the heart of Christ, to the heart of God. But there are still some who say, what is so important about the attitudes? Yes, there is persecution Against the Beatitudes. In the eighth Beatitude, Jesus told us that there would be plenty of persecution because our Satan is alive and well on this planet Earth, isn't he? Satan would love us to think that there is nothing important about these stupid Beatitudes. But yet we know that this is the very essence of who Jesus was and what his ministry was really all about. And it never seems to fail that there is always some kind of persecution against Christianity, against the very core belief in the death and resurrection of Christ. I don't know, many years ago, and this, this upset me. You remember that Da Vinci code that came out several years ago? The movie. Jesus had died, was raised, but before this he was married to Mary Magdalene. She was pregnant at the time of the crucifixion, but the church said she was a prostitute, which was slander invented to obscure the true relationship, and she fled to France and bore a daughter, and there has always been the search for the Holy Grail. Such horrible persecution against Christ. Persecutions, accusations, will come and go, as this beatitude tells us. Jesus was and is a living example of this last beatitude when it says, Blessed are you who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus went through the persecution of the cross of Calvary because it was right and it was good to do. And then he gained victory in heaven, in the kingdom of heaven. People reviled him. They spit on him. They said all manner of evil against him falsely. And then this beatitude closes, I believe, with a great cry of Easter Sunday morning. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. I don't know, but my mouth is getting so dry... Maybe it's because I'm too nervous. I don't know what it is. Or maybe I'm just too excited. That might be it. I don't know. I don't know. This is the beatitude of persecution and resurrection. If you got your folder and you're looking at the outline, I'm going to read what the real beatitude says from Matthew 5, 12, 10 through 12. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before me. Did you know that there are many people today who would like to contend that this beatitude is out of place in our time. They try to tell us that the persecution doesn't exist in our day and time. Persecution that Jesus was talking about happened in the first few centuries. And of course, we know they're so dead wrong. There is persecution all over the place. The persecution that is here today, the persecution of yesterday. There's even Jewish persecution in this day. A Jewish businessman... In Chicago decided that he was going to send his son to Israel to absorb the culture of the homeland. And when the son returned, the father asked him to tell him about his trip. He said, Pop, hey, Pop, I had a great time in Israel. By the way, I converted to Christianity. No said the father. What have I done? So he, he said, i got to go to my friend Jacob and find out about him what to do. And Jacob says, Jake says, Funny you should ask, I too sent my son to Israel, and he came back a Christian. Perhaps we should go see the rabbi and ask him what we should do. And they went to see the rabbi, and the rabbi says, Funny you should ask that question. I too sent my son to Israel, and he came back a Christian. What is happening to our young people? What is going on? And so they all decided, we're going to get on our knees, we're going to pray to God and ask him what's going on and explain what's happening and everything, and suddenly... Suddenly there is this great voice, loud and clear from heaven, suddenly, and it says, So, funny you should ask, I too sent my son to Israel. Interesting. On Good Friday, I spoke here and referred to the horrific persecution that our Lord went through for each of us. Thank God it was shown so vividly in Mel Gibson's movie, The Passion of the Christ, with Jim Cavizzo playing Jesus Christ, who then became a Christian because of that. Seeing the realistic beatings and the scourges and the reality of the nails going into his hand, into his feet, and the agony of that cross as it went thud into the ground with his body on it. Oh, I was in tears. Watching it. Well, that same kind of persecution happened right after Jesus was buried. Near the end of Matthew 27, it tells us that the scribes and Pharisees wanted to make sure that they had persecuted Christ and his cause right into the ground. And so these religious leaders are so hell-bent and obsessed that they go to Pilate on the Sabbath day, which was against their own man-made rules. And here's what they said. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive... The deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until that third day. Otherwise his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. But praise God, all of this persecution could not keep Jesus in that tomb. Easter, as we celebrated last Sunday, as we celebrate every Lord's Day, as we're doing today, Easter and this beatitude of persecution and resurrection are saying, you can't keep a good God-man down. You can't keep him down. That is what we believe. That is And why do we believe it? My first point, if you're watching in that, that program, my first point, Jesus was buried, but he arose from the dead. Jesus was no ghost, but a reality. Now I'm going to ask our Halloween people a strange question on Easter season. When do you usually see a ghost? Nighttime, right? Of course, this is the usual time that they walk around and haunt. The best time to see shadows and let our imaginations play tricks on us is at nighttime. Maybe this is why we never hear of a seance being held in the sunshine or in the open air. The only right atmosphere for a medium is a darkened room. All of these reasons make it all the more remarkable that when a man did come back from the dead, it was free from spookiness and most of that action took place in the daylight, in the open air. Jesus and God did it deliberately to show us that this was and is the real thing. There was no doubt that he really died, for it's so horribly visible to them, a public execution on trumped-up charges. But now as the women come to the tomb and come to anoint the body with oils as it was their custom, something really mighty starts to happen. An earth-shaking event occurs with a thunderous earthquake. An angel, the Lord, comes down from heaven and rolls that large stone away and sits on it. And the angel's appearance is so bright that the guards are frozen, stiff in their tracks, so scared. And the angel said, from Matthew 28, 5 and 6, the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. The resurrection, you see, is no lie. For Jesus did as he said he would do. You have to notice that the angel is telling the women that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. In Matthew 20 verses 18 and 19, we're going up to Jerusalem, he says, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day he will be raised alive. Jesus told them this to prepare them at least three times. The angel is just verifying that on that first Easter you could not keep a good God, man, down. Matthew's Easter story goes on to say that the angels, angels told the women to go and tell the disciples, and as they're leaving, they meet Jesus. Ah, oh, Lord, peace be with you. They run up and touch him, but they're still afraid, and Jesus says, do not be afraid. And do, do not be afraid. The angel told you not to be afraid. Well, we really can't blame them for being frightened. It's one thing, to see a white shape in a churchyard at night, but quite different matter when a friend you saw die on Friday comes up and speaks to you on the following Sunday morning. Jesus did what he said he would do. He did it. So you can't keep a good God-man down, no matter how much persecution, but the story goes on, and we go on to the second point in my message today, is that you can't bury people And their problems if they truly believe in Jesus Christ. The chief priests tried to keep Jesus buried. Oh, the Easter story continues that the guards come to the chief priests and they tell them about the empty tomb, that no one stole the body, and the chief priests are desperate men even for them, and they got to cook up something. And so Matthew 28, 12 through 13 says, when the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while you were asleep. And even though Jesus was alive, they attempted to keep him buried. And that right there is the Easter story that many people are living today, whether they come once in a while to church or that they come on Easter or Christmas or special days or whatever, they are living buried underneath all of their problems with no hope of really living. Christian believers are so many times buried in all of their persecution that Jesus warned us about in this beatitude. Here's our Lord's honesty that he told it like it would be. He never left people in any doubt what would happen if they chose to follow him. He had, not, he had come not to make an easy life, but he came to make life great. Amen? He did. And people in Christ's day were buried with persecution, whether it be at work. Suppose a man was a stonemason and his firm received a contract to build a temple to a heathen god. What should he do? Suppose a tailor had to produce robes to, for heathen priests. What, what should he do? If he came between choice of loyalty and making a living, the real Christian, if he was really a Christian, never hesitated and chose loyalty. Or in their social life, in the ancient world, invitations went out to the feast of all the many gods. You know, went out, I invite you to dine with me at the table of our Lord Serapis. Should you go or not? Of course you shouldn't go. You should take a stand. But if you take a stand, that is expecting persecution and expecting to be lonely. And even at our homes where we lived, it was very common experience that day that one member of the family became a Christian, and the rest of them did not. Immediately a split, a brokenness existed. Your faith involved the choice between someone's loved one's And Jesus Christ, and we all know that this persecution went on a long time, and it continues. And people today are buried with their problems. They are buried with their persecution. Our problems of persecution are no different. Whether it be at work or in the social realm or even at home, I believe that these kind of problems, these kind of persecutions and crosses are captured in a true story that I want to tell you. It's about Mrs. Andrews' private Easter. The author that's writing this story is telling about her childhood and her sudden discovery of the reality of unseen things. She says it happened when Mrs. Andrews moved into the neighborhood, into town, and to the house next door to ours. She began to sing in the choir, And she had a glorious voice, I mean a beautiful voice, with all of her gifts as a teacher. Mrs. Andrews had a great longing of her own, a longing for a little girl. Then after waiting for many years, she gave birth to a baby girl, and the whole town rejoiced with her. But her happiness was short-lived. The child soon died. And then unexpectedly, two months later, Her husband got pneumonia, and he died. Wow. Wow. And after this, Mrs. Andrews did not return to the choir. And at first, everybody understood why. And soon it was rumored she had lost her faith. The shutters of her house were kept closed. She withdrew from the church, from the community. And Dorothy, this little girl living next door, never saw her. But she knew her father, the pastor, went to see Mrs. Andrews. And she asked, what do you say? Words are of no use to her now, he said. She must live through it. She has to live through it. And then there came a bright spring afternoon when Dorothy started to hearing, hearing singing next door. And there was Mrs. Andrews sitting on her hammock in the sunshine. And Dorothy went right over and asked her what was going on. My father tells me that you are living through this. What does that mean? And Mrs. Andrews responded, you will find out sooner or later this is how it was. When I first lost my husband and my baby, I kept thinking that this, this couldn't have happened. But there came a time when I knew it had really taken place. And then I said that everything was over. Everything's finished. And I would never sing again. And I lived for a while in a cave as sorrowing people do. I might have stayed in that cave forever, but I had a spark of faith that was still left. And I waited for that spark as seed waits for spring and new light. You see, everybody can have a resurrection story. I mean, when we rise from our sorrow right here in this life, and so too many people are resurrected right here in this life, no matter what. And isn't that true about our living today? We let our problems bury us, don't we? Not only that, we let people stay buried with their problems and not help them. The Easter message of hope and forgiveness and victory says that no one should stay buried When there is new life in Christ, amen? Amen. When there's new life in Christ, who is the resurrection and the life? You can't keep a good man or woman down. You can't keep a God man down. And now I come, I'm doing all right. I come to my third point. I come to my third point, which is bringing us together today. We can't bury ourselves after Easter Sunday. Malvern Baptist Church can't bury their spirit. And together, Malvern Baptist and Valley Creek Church will rejoice and be exceedingly glad. We have all been living in the reality of the story of persecution and resurrection. Malvern Baptist has been going through much persecution of dwindling attendance... Winning leadership, with questions. Sell, die, or what? Or what to do with a huge building facility that is desperately in need of refurbishing? Or what to tell members who have been so faithful for so long? And some persecution that I'm not even allowed to mention today. Valley Creek Church has been going through their own persecution of trying to find the right facility to establish their ministry, trying to establish themselves in this Valley Creek area. I've learned about Valley Creek since I came here, and especially here in Malvern, and trying to have enough physical and financial essentials to set this undertaking truly in motion. Well, rejoice, folks. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad because great is your reward because when you live fully the resurrection life in Jesus Christ as God gives both churches, I believe, a win-win. A win-win and a greater win for the Lord. And I thank you to, a big thank you to our lawyer, Jim Tupitza. Malvern Baptist gives their buildings They give a sizable endowment to help sustain the cemetery. And thanks to the Mary Foles estate, we give special mission gifts today as well because Mary was such a dedicated and mission-minded member of this church for many years, and as her granddaughter told me, she always wanted this church to go on. And also there are many extra funds that the Lord has blessed us with to help in this transition for Valley Creek. It's a win-win folks. But Valley Creek and their leadership and their members are truly embracing Malvern Baptist and their members far beyond measure. They're recognizing as Nick, Pastor Nick did today, the 190 year history. But there's going to be a marker outside in front of the church marking out of the historical Landmark status of First Baptist Church. There's a lot of history displayed, as Nick said it. By the way, did you know he was a former interior decorator? No? <laughs> no? I mean, I'm hearing all kinds of words. In another life. In another, life. In another life. But I want to tell you, he had these things. We came in Tuesday and had all these plaques and everything laid out. And when I came back on Wednesday, he's putting them up on the wall there in the fellowship hall. I mean, wow. But the other part of it, they're welcoming each member that wants to become a First Baptist, become a part of this church, including several shut-ins. You know his shut-ins are going to quadruple. I know. The women's circle that has been the strength of this church for so many years and has kept this church alive, let me tell you, is going to continue. It's going to continue. And Valley Creek folks are going to join in, and this is going to be great. And the Wednesday morning Bible study that Pastor Bob Stradling did, that I have done for the last six months, is also going to continue. I mean, I mean, it's, it's just, a, and the leaders are already set. They joined us for the last study. John and Helen Celine, they're downstairs getting everything ready. We all have come for such a time this. All the right people and the right circumstances. I am so excited you don't think I'm excited do you? I'm so excited and I am so happy to be a part of this bigger than I even thought it was going to be and I I am exceedingly glad because you see the Lord told me a few years ago I would be here doing this. I haven't told anybody until now. The Lord said, because I started speaking occasionally for Bob, the Lord told me that I would be a part of it. And you see, this church and this merger is a microcosm of what I believe is going to be happening worldwide as we, I believe, are on the verge of the third great awakening. We are on the verge of the third great awakening of revival that God is giving one last chance, not only to this country, but to the whole world. Amen? So what are we supposed to do? I know, my 30 minutes is just about up. So what are we supposed to do? Let's come out of our tombs and gossip the gospel, all right? Let's come out of our tombs. There are so many people that bury themselves after Easter. They literally do it to their lives, their actions, their attitudes. That needs to end right here and now as this merger takes place. So you must have noticed in our scripture reading that we didn't stop with the resurrection story. We went on to the Jesus ascension as he gave the Great Commission. And I I know we're going to do it at the end of this service, but I'm going to read it for you right now. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely, I am with you always to the very end of the age. And finally, let's cure our allergy resurrection life and start really living it it's like the teenager who was waking up entering the kitchen with his pajamas still on and he said to his mother you know mom i've discovered my trouble about getting out of bed in the morning i'm allergic to morning (laughs) we sometimes can be allergic to easter to resurrection life We bury Jesus back in the tomb and bury ourselves back in our own personal tombs because we're allergic to living as he taught in the Beatitudes and allergic to be willing to face persecution for his sake, just as the translation from the message tells us. And that is in your program booklet. You can follow along. But the message says it in a different way. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and I know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into that same kind of trouble. Blessed are you when your commitment to God provokes persecution. For if it drives you and me closer to God and closer to Jesus, that's great. Blessed are you when you are put down and they speak all kinds of lies and evil about us to discredit our Jesus because the truth is too close for comfort. You can be glad. You can rejoice and be exceedingly glad for great is your reward in heaven. Jesus has conquered it all. He has conquered death. He has conquered the tomb. He has conquered Satan and we can shout it from the rooftops. Let's arise for Jesus. Let's arise for him. Let's celebrate Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, thank you for what you're going to do for the two churches that are coming together because we're going to celebrate you and we're going to live fully in you. And we just thank you now. And all God's people said, Amen.